This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. It's not every day that we get to talk to someone who is a published author. They have their own talks and they travel the country training and equipping frontline managers on how to better retain their people. There are so many things happening in today's economy and our society and our culture and our world that are impacting employers' abilities to be able to retain great people. Today's guest, as I said, is a published author, and she talks a lot about this generational divide. I'm so excited to have her on the show today because it's the generational divide that is keeping us from being able to attract great people into our future jobs. On today's show, we're going to talk about some of the ways that you can equip your managers to start retaining great people. I want to welcome today's show, Kara Saletto. She's an NBA CSP. She works with organizations of all sizes to reduce unnecessary employee turnover by bridging generational gaps and making managers more effective in their roles. Hey, Kara, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. So glad to be here. Oh, I am so excited about today's conversation. We we met, we were, did a workshop together, something that Vistage brought us in together. And I knew by the time we were done that I had to have you on the show because you have so much great information to share with our listeners. Awesome. Yes. And I knew we had to partner and keep <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> we both have these giant goals for how we shift this way people think about the employee-employer relationship and retention. So I'm really excited to dig in. But I want to start with one of my favorite questions because we're really about breaking down these, these myths and beliefs that people have. What is the biggest myth about your industry? So the biggest myth that I have heard is that young people just don't want to work. <laughs> oh, they're all lazy and entitled and yes, just want to play video games and be social media influencers. Is that right? Yes. And just send me a check, but I don't want to show up and I don't want to work or I don't want to work hard. Yes. That's a myth, my friend. Yeah. I've never met a human being that didn't want to just sit around and get paid. So I don't think it's a generational thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. That too. Yes. So what do you do? I mean, tell, tell us just real briefly about what you do over there at Magnet Culture and how you help overcome this myth and, and break down these mindset misbeliefs, if you will. Sure. So at Magnet Culture, we work with companies across the country to reduce unnecessary employee turnover. And mostly we do that by bridging generational gaps. I happen to be one of the oldest millennials and we make managers better in their roles because while people think, oh, today's young workers don't want to work in reality, it's more so that they don't want to work for crazy low pay. They don't want to work for crummy bosses. They don't want to work for those who are still managing people like they did in the late 1900s, you know, <laughs> because I said so kind of managers. Yeah. And they don't want to work in bad, toxic, negative work environments where they don't have work friends and they don't have appreciation and things like that. So we're constantly working with leadership teams across various industries to create more managers that people want to work for. Oh, I think that's great. And that 
you said this bridging generational gaps. And I think that's one of the things that I run into so often is that we have a baby boomer boss who's like, well, this is the way my boss did it for me. So this is the way I'm going to treat the people that work for me now. And they have this mindset that they don't have to change. And I read a book about millennials. They talked about this generational divide. And they said, the one thing about millennials that most people don't understand is that when they were raised, their family raised them around, and the metaphor is a round table. There was no head of the table. There was no foot of the table. It was like, you're part of the family. Let's make decisions together. And millennials were encouraged as they were being raised by their parents to make decisions together. What kind of sports do you want to play? Where do you want to go on vacation? Like the parents involve millennials in these conversations. And then we get to the employers and they're like, no, it's a hierarchy. There's a person at the top and it goes <laughs> down and you do what you're told. And then it's like, well, millennials don't want to work. I'm like, well, no, they're used to having a voice and you're not giving them one. <laughs> this is one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. In fact, you brought up the vacation example. And as a millennial, my family was very egalitarian, which is the opposite of hierarchical. Okay. Hierarchical is very top down my decision because I'm the leader and egalitarian is everyone deserves a voice and a say and a vote. And we're all equal, which you can actually have an organization that is still run that way, even with a hierarchical org chart, but you can still run with a culture that's more egalitarian where we even take ideas and we listen to the new hires who are brand new. You don't have to pay your dues and wait your turn. And as a millennial myself growing up in the 80s and 90s, my parents asked us where we wanted to go on vacation and we would rotate my mom, my dad, my sister, and I every four years, I got to pick where we went on vacation that year. Mm. When I was about 10 years old, I wanted to go to Boston so bad. And it was because that's where the new kids on the block lived. Oh, (laughs) So our whole family took their family vacation to Boston that year because I was in love with Joey McIntyre. And then fast forward, Ryan, to when I came into the work world at 22 and who wanted Kara's opinion or thoughts or vote? Nobody. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just like you said, kind of a a wake up call for me that, oh my goodness, I've stepped into this other world here that didn't want me to speak up as a young worker. Yeah. And I think that there is, there's a little give and take on both sides. Like we need to stretch the millennials and understand, hey, this isn't your company. (laughs) You know, we're not going to just do it your way. Yes. Agreed. (laughs) But on the other side, we have to say, hey, you know what? This is who they are. This is how they grew up. This is how they were raised. This is how their brain works. And if you really want them to engage, which it's so cool because I remember, so I'm Gen X, right? I'm in the middle of Gen X and I remember, you know what? If we want your opinion, we'll ask. Yeah. And what a horrible way to run a business because you know who has the great ideas? The people that haven't been doing it this way for that long. Yes, the fresh pair of eyes. Exactly. Now, they might need some guidance. You might need to coach them, but you got to at least be open to that. Right, right. And you know, I find, understandably, I find quite a few chips on the shoulder of, well, when I was their age, I wasn't given a voice or I had to pay my dues and I had to wait my turn or do the grunt work, whatever it was. And what I'm talking with a lot of leaders about right now is, do you remember that old scouting adage of leave the campsite better than you found it? 
which meant you go into the woods, you see a piece of candy wrapper trash. You don't say that's not my trash and walk past it. You pick it up, you put it in your pocket and you wait till you can find a trash can to put it in because you want to leave things better for the next camper and certainly not disrupt the wildlife that's there. And so I'd say that same thing about our handbook and our policies and our culture. If I came into a work world, you know, 20 years ago that required me to wear pantyhose, for example, okay, then don't we want the next generation to not have to wear pantyhose or, you know, a more general example, just that old, because I said so, or no news is good news. If I don't talk to you, you're doing fine. Yeah. Well, that's a traditional mindset. And don't we want to manage better? and communicate better. We know that people want more feedback. So don't we want to leave the campsite, leave the culture better than we found it and be better communicators who don't say to our workers, because I said so, or I'm not going to thank you unless you go above and beyond. You get a paycheck for showing up and that's good enough, (laughs) right? That's who people don't want to work for, Ryan. (laughs) As far as people not wanting to work, they don't want to work for that type of manager anymore. You know, it's one of the things we talk a lot about. So much of what we do is focused on sourcing and getting people to notice your company, especially small business. It's so hard to compete right now. You don't have the million dollar budgets that Amazon has to attract people. So you have to compete. And it's not that people don't want to do the work. It's not that people don't want to be in the trades or be in construction because so much of what we do is it's that they don't want to do it for you. Yes. And I think that's really where you come in is. So when you start talking about training these managers and training these leaders to think differently, there really is a shift that needs to happen inside of these organizations for them to have a magnet culture and be able to really attract and retain these people. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. And remember what the opposite of attract for a magnet is, is repel. (laughs) So (laughs) if you don't work on this to create that magnet culture that attracts people, you are absolutely repelling people with certain parts of the way that you do things unintentionally, right? But it's either attractive or it's a repellent. So yeah, thinking about management effectiveness, managers and supervisors have the most influence on whether a person stays or goes. And if you think about all the issues that we hear about, so pay, schedules, communication, team dynamics, generational dynamics, all those things that might cause people to leave can be buffered or cushioned by a good manager. The companies that I see who are investing in their leadership at every level, I'm talking frontline supervisors, frontline leaders to management, especially director level and even executive training. When is the last time that your leadership team really had training on generational dynamics and effective communication in 2022, not in 2002? (laughs) (laughs) or even 2012. I mean, it's a whole different world. So yes, the managers, if they're well-trained on understanding others, as far as behavioral styles, emotional intelligence, conflict resolution, how to give feedback, we tend to promote people into leadership positions and think, well, they'll just figure that out. Or if they were good enough to get promoted, then they're decent communicators. And it's very different communicating, for example, constructive criticism or mentoring others or dealing with a difficult conflict on the team, you know, those things are really hard if you have not 
received actual training on it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's where the Peter principle comes from, right? Mm-hmm. And we see this all the time promoting these people. It's like, well, I need new leaders. Like just because they're good at the work doesn't mean they're good at being a leader. So you can't just throw them in and then go, well, that person didn't work out. They're a horrible employee. I'm like, now they are, but you promoted them because they were really good. Like, why did you take them out of that? Yes. But you mentioned pay and that's one that there's a couple dynamics to pay that we see. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more your thoughts on this, but we see inflationary pressure, right? We see that you've got to be able to help your people, especially low wage frontline employees. You know, I talk about this all the time when the cost of gas doubles. Like professionals or entrepreneurs, it's an inconvenience. It's annoying. It means a little less Starbucks this week or next. But when you're a low-wage frontline employee, it means it's time to find another job because that 12-mile commute is, I can't afford to pay my rent anymore. Right. And it really understands. So we have that side of it. But then we have the other side of it, which is, well, everybody thinks they're worth $35 an hour when it's an $18 an hour job historically. And one of the things that I see is that that's the amount of money that they think it's worth to put up with the horrible work environment you have. Like that's the bribe amount is what I call it. Absolutely. So I'd love to know some of your thoughts on that. Like, what are you seeing? How do we overcome, not the inflationary stuff, let's ignore that for now, but how do we overcome this? You know what? It's not a healthy work environment. People don't like the industry, but if they want to stay, they want more money to offset kind of that, I'm not treated well. Yeah. Or even just a harsh work environment, right? So many of the folks that you and I serve are in construction and other areas that it's a tough job. We have to be out in the weather elements sometimes and things like that. So I'd love to go a little bit bigger picture on this topic for just a second, because what a lot of employers, if you've been around 20 plus years in the work world, it's harder to understand the mindset of the younger workers today in that they have access to comparison data that we didn't have 20 years ago. So not just on, you know, Indeed or Glassdoor, Google reviews, things like that. But I'm talking about people older than 40 were told, you don't talk about money, politics, and religion. You just don't. That's inappropriate. It's rude. It's private, personal, whatever. And now what do we see, first of all, all over social media? (laughs) (laughs) religion and politics. And then second of all, people talk about money now. They talk to their peers, they talk to their siblings, even their colleagues sometimes, but more so it's just their friends. So if I gave you an example of comparison, it isn't just about the wages. Think about this. It's the wages and the workload. Or how laborious is that job, for example? Because if I have a friend who's working in a call center or in maybe even a toll booth or something, right? A lot of that's been automated, but not 100%. So if I have a friend working in a toll booth who can actually maybe study for a night class that they're having, but they can sit there and study or listen to music while they're working, things like that. And let's say they're making 17 bucks an hour in that market. And then I'm going into a manufacturing environment or construction environment or whatnot. And I'm also making 17 or maybe even a little more, 18 bucks an hour, but I am exhausted after work. And if I want to take a night class for something or get a certification, I have to do that outside of work. And I don't have access to my music, to my laptop, my smartphone, things like that. And so they will talk to each other 
they will absolutely say, wait a minute, you don't work as hard as me and you're making the same or almost the same amount of money. So one thing that we have to realize is when we're doing competitive analysis or really comp analysis, it's not what it used to be because people didn't know what everybody else made. And you could say, well, that's normal for this industry. But now that we're competing industry against industry, you have to look at how hard is the job, how tethered is the job, meaning does it have to be at a specific place at a specific time, or can they, you know, kind of come and go as they want, not necessarily work from home, but just how flexible are the shift times and things like that, right? So a lot more comparison going on if we're talking about reevaluating wages, for example. I love that point. And I think it goes to, it used to be a lot harder to find a job too. Yes. 20 years ago, you had to go to the paper. Or I remember when I got out of college, I was told, put on nice clothes, maybe a suit and go drive around and knock on doors. Like that's (laughs) what we were coached to do 20 years ago. Now, I think it's like 98% of people just, it's online. Right. And on their phone. On their phone even, yeah. Yeah, not even just online, but most applications from what I hear now, and you know this better on the recruiting side, it's all happening on their mobile device. And I still see companies who have no online application or it's not mobile friendly. Have you tried to apply for your own job on your phone? If you haven't, give it a try. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, I'm not kidding you. This was last year. So we're talking 2021. And we ran to a company and it was download our application and fax it to this number. You know, most people have no access to a fax machine, nor do they even know how that antiquated piece of technology works. (laughs) I agree. I agree. But you know, that was a website that probably looked like it was from the early 2000s. Nobody's touched it. And then they're like, well, nobody wants to work here. I'm like, nobody can apply to work there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's fix that. Like, let's open it up, make it easy for them to apply. Right. But, you know, the internet really has changed things for people because of the, like you said, the comparison, but also the speed at which comparison can happen. Yes. And just the speed of hiring alone. We talk quite a bit about expediting your certain steps of your hiring process, right? If you think about it, the lower the wages, the faster a person can find a replacement job. Yep. And right now you're seeing people who don't even give a two week notice. They just say, oh no, I had a bad day. I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. And they might tell you or they might not, but many of them can then go DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever. You know, they can go make money somewhere else on one of those untethered job opportunities that doesn't have to have a schedule And that's another piece of the comparison puzzle that we're dealing with. I see a lot of the workforce today say, I just don't want to be told where I have to be when because of my family side, right? My personal side of my life, my hobbies, any schooling I might be in or kids, significant other schedules, those kind of things. And of course, you know, we have some folks who say, Kara, getting up and going to work on a schedule that's called a job. (laughs) So (laughs) you just have to do it. And I've done it my whole life. And so they should have to do it too. But we really need to look at how the world has changed. And even though we can't switch construction and manufacturing and other jobs to work from home or pick your own schedule, 
We do need to have conversations around flexibility that are more creative than they used to be. Because I have one client, they're manufacturing, they have to have 17 people on the line to go green, right? To hit the button. It has to be 17 people on that line. So of course they have to have 17 people at the same shift at the same location to do that job. But there are other lines in the plant and other positions around the plant that can be more flexible, that can have a different start and end time. For example, I'm seeing a lot of folks go not only from eight and 12 hour shifts to four tens or even offering four hour and six hour shifts, because now we have scheduling software and you can fill in all the pieces with technology instead of trying to do that manually or on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true. You're not just competing for against people that do the types of work you do. You're now competing for eyeballs of everything. I remember meeting with senior leader with one of the associations around remodeling contractors. And it was actually a guest on the podcast. And we were talking and I was like, you know who your number one competitor is in that market you're talking about? And he's like, other remodeling contractors, of course. And I'm like, no, it's Amazon. I know what they're paying at that warehouse in that city. And they're paying $4 more an hour than you're paying people. And the work is less intensive. There's better benefits. There's some flexibility. Now, let's not talk about Amazon and some of the culture issues they have, but from the job seekers perspective, they just want to jump out of the frying pan that they're in and it's something better. And it appears to pay more, they take it. Right. So let's talk about this training managers and helping these people become better leaders, because while we focus a ton on sourcing and helping them make better hires, We don't do the level of depth of of training and work that you do to help these companies retain them. And I believe, and I have data to support this actually, that most of the hiring problems we're having in this country right now are not hiring problems. Mm -hmm. They're recruiting problems. Just talked to someone a couple of weeks ago and I said, how many people do you have on your team? They go, 11. They go, how many W-2s did you issue at the end of last year? He goes, 41. I go, you know how to hire people. (laughs) Hiring is not your issue. (laughs) Now, could you hire better? Probably. But let's talk about this retention piece, because that is so critical to solving the hiring issues out there right now. Right. And I love a good recruiter who absolutely can make better hiring decisions and pull from the better pools of people, you know, make better connections. I love a great recruiter. But Ryan, I got to be honest, recruiters don't solve the retention problem. You know, just hiring, quote unquote, hiring better people does not solve that retention problem. And I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, hey, we need to reduce turnover. So can you just help me hire better people? (laughs) Which, hey, let's put ourselves in their shoes for a minute. If you were running a business for, you know, 25 years and you were successful and profitable and people did what you said, and then the millennials came in... (laughs) (laughs) That's why I totally understand why people say everything was great until these dang millennials showed up. And then now, you know, they quote unquote, don't want to (laughs) work that type of thing. Millennials fault. That's what it is. (laughs) It is. It is. But really, you know, what happened was here's a quick demographic lesson. We had 80 million boomers and we had only 60 million Gen Xers. So for decades, the Gen Xers did what the millennials told them. And the Gen Xers tell me, oh, I figured out pretty young and early, if I wanted to succeed, I had to play that boomer game. 
I had to show up when they told me to show up. I had to work the way they wanted me to work and wear what they wanted me to wear and all of that. And then you had the millennials come in at 80 million strong. So it's like an hourglass kind of demographic visual there. And then the millennials came in and said, whoa, 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 Gen X, they're taking advantage of you. You're only supposed to be working 40 hours a week, or you can't possibly get all that work that's on your workload done in just one job because the boomers had been telling the Gen Xers, we have to do more with less and you have to stay till the job gets done and that type of thing. So now, as with many things, you see this pendulum swing and then it swings back (laughs) over time and you've got the millennials and now Gen Z, that group under 25 pushing back and saying, no, we're, we're not going to let you normalize 50, 60, 70 hour work weeks. We're not going to let you normalize overtime as you know, mandatory overtime and things like that. So we really have to get, you know, of course the pay is an issue workloads, realistic and sustainable workloads is an issue. And then the management training, as far as their mindset in understanding where this new workforce is coming from and how we got ourselves into this pickle of lower pay because wages were stagnant for so long for lower wage workers, overloading the workforce, trying to do more with less for decades. And those things just aren't sustainable, right? So the management needs to understand how to better communicate, better lead, and better manage the folks that are in these difficult situations sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the things the pandemic did was it kind of ripped the bandaid off and exposed these things for so long. (laughs) Yeah. They were problems before the pandemic. Oh, Anything that happened during the pandemic was a result of practices prior to the pandemic. It's just the pandemic exposed it so much that all of a sudden the employees were like, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to be stuck. There are opportunities out there because the gig economy and all of the non-tethered jobs, as you put it, became so commonplace and there was so much awareness around them. People were like, I didn't know these options existed. Right. And here they jump into it. To your point about the pandemic kind of exacerbated the previous issues, we had cut training and development years ago. Yeah. Don't you remember? I mean, 20 years ago, they had Supervisor 101 and they had emerging leader programs and there were all kinds of mentoring programs in place. And we just kept cutting and cutting and cutting over the last 20 years and yet promoting people into those positions without giving them the proper tools. And now we wonder, oh, they're in an even more difficult situation, but they don't know how to deal with it. The managers themselves, and they're just spinning their wheels. So thinking about the entrepreneurs that are out there listening right now, and they might have a few hundred employees, but they probably don't have a dedicated trainer. They probably don't know people that can come in and do all this stuff. What's one or two action items that you could give them to really help them just take that next step in getting their leaders just a little bit better at being good leaders so that they can work on this, the retention their business. Absolutely. So one of the immediately actionable tactics that we always train on is we must communicate our expectations because everybody defines professionalism a little bit differently. And if you're listening today, you can't see it, but I actually have purple hair. (laughs) At least part of my hair is purple. And I use that as a talking point, particularly for executives and managers about what does professionalism really mean today? 
And so if we don't communicate exactly what we want from someone, the behavior that we want from them, the attitude, the responses and whatnot, then they will just do what comes naturally to them. And at my very first job, no one told me I had to keep my shoes on at the office all day. You know, now in construction and manufacturing, we've got OSHA and other requirements and whatnot, but there are still lots of little things that, you know, punctuality, for example, and you think, oh, that's just common sense. Who doesn't know to wear their shoes or to show up on time or to not wear that kind of clothing to work, you know, whatever it is, we're judging And instead we have to realize, oh, wait, if they're missing the boat, maybe I didn't communicate my expectations as clearly as I thought, particularly because today's new workforce is raised differently. And while you might have, I know Ryan on our previous conversations we've had, you said, you know, I was told, here's how you dress. Here's how you show up on your first day. Here's, you know, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Even that kind of stuff. Yeah. And today, think about it. We have quite a bit of generational poverty in the States. And I know people who are 50 plus years old that have never really held a good job. Yeah. And they were always the kind of person who would quit because they got mad or something like that. And now they have children trying to get jobs and the employers are saying, oh, They wore the wrong thing. They said the wrong thing. They showed up late and they just dismissed them like, oh, they're just not professional when really they just need a mentor. They don't know any better. They can't read your mind. And they didn't even have moms and dads or aunts and uncles or even neighbors who got up every day worried about being on time and what they wore and, you know, things like that. So I do think a big gap that's out there right now that the employers are going to have to fill because if the schools and the parents aren't able to do that right now, then the employers have to think about how do we fill that professionalism gap and how do we train our managers on how to communicate more effectively, communicate especially with those expectations. Here's how we want you to show up and what that looks like. You know, and I would say that Just in general, when people are doing things in their personal lives, we've learned that if whether you set expectations or not, there's a lot of gray area in that. Great example. I was just at the movies, first one since the pandemic. And it's one of those that has the assigned seating. And of course, me and my buddies, we don't get to sit next to each other. So we're all scattered all over the theater because they're all sold out. We walk in there, there's like three people in the theater. And we're like, what is going on? Why is everything sold out? Like we're not social distancing anymore. So we all sit together. We're just like, whatever. I mean, maybe it's empty because we were there on time. Movie started at 6.30. Well, that's what they told us. It started at 6.30. For 30 minutes, it was commercials and previews and this and that. And by seven o'clock, when I'm guessing the people that do this all the time, the whole theater was packed. (laughs) We had to scatter. And so there are so many things in people's personal lives that are teaching them you know what? If we don't set the expectations, you're going to get what you're going to get. And we talked about it. We like, we would have had dinner later and shown up 30 minutes later had we known. Yes. And I think that's the same thing that employers are doing. They think, well, you should know better. Really? Says who? Yeah. If you think he should know better or my favorite phrase of judgment, that's just common sense. Who doesn't know that? Yeah. Anytime you think or hear that kind of phrase, 
that should be your trigger that tells you, oh, wait, maybe we're not communicating the expectation because they can't read our mind. I had a CFO come up to me after a training recently, and she said, okay, I hear you about, I need to communicate clearly, but here's another example. I'm the CFO and I have clearly asked my team to come to every weekly meeting to give me a status update. And they just continue to miss the mark. And I said, well, when you ask for the status update, what do they tell you? And she said, they just say, everything's fine. Everything's on track. (laughs) And I said, isn't that a status update? (laughs) And she said, well, no, when I want a status update, I want to know what have they accomplished since last week? What are their roadblocks? Where are they now? What are their next steps? And I just got quiet, Ryan. And looked at her. And then she said, oh, that's what I need to communicate to them. (laughs) Because they were giving a status update, which is what she asked for. But they weren't on the same page with exactly what the status update was. And as soon as it clicked in her mind of, oh, I have very specific expectations of what a status update is then it changed everything. And think about the other people too. Here, she thought they were being rude or unprofessional by not giving a proper status update. And they were thinking, my boss is the CFO. She's busy. She doesn't want all the details. She just wants to know that we're on track. So they thought they were doing the right thing. And both parties were frustrated by the other party in that situation. Well, I love what I just heard in what you said, even though I don't know you specifically said this, but if you're frustrated with your team, yes, go look in the mirror first and make sure you're not the one that needs to do something differently. (laughs) And she actually said that when we got done after I just kind of looked at her and I let her process it. And she said, oh, I'm the problem. (laughs) That was her words, not mine. (laughs) So yes. I love seeing people have those breakthrough moments, even if they're little ones, because they could be so profound and change things so much. Kara, I know we could keep talking for a long time about this. This has been so much fun. And I can't believe we're at the end of the show already. So you've said so many great things today. So many great nuggets. I know if you weren't taking notes, Go back to the office and take notes because I know a lot of our, our listeners listen when they're behind the windshield, but some great things in here. Make sure you check out the show notes. But Kara, if someone's listening, they're like, you know what? I want to know more. I'm sure you've got some great nuggets of wisdom, maybe on a website or or through some kind of offer. Number one, how do people get a hold of you? And then where's your best stuff? Yeah. So our website is at wereduceturnover.com. So easy to remember, we reduce turnover.com, but I would say the best nuggets are either on LinkedIn and or YouTube is where you can just continue to hear our content. We do free webinars all the time and post those blogs and articles. And then we also, if you're ready to dive into how to reduce turnover, we have a hidden website at magnetvault.com. So that is a bunch of downloadable resources that you can go in and it has a retention audit, a cost of turnover calculator, all kinds of great resources for you and your leadership team to figure out what are your next steps and what are the actionable items that need to happen moving forward. Oh, if you're listening to this, you take her up on it because I promise you there is gold in whether it's YouTube, LinkedIn, or even that super secret hidden website. Mm-hmm. Kara, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. This has been great. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you, Ryan. And thanks for everything you do, both you and your listeners. Appreciate it. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.